eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This is NFL Nuts. Sunday with Ryan Hannibal, Kirk Minahan, Rich Keith, and Christian Fourier. The ultimate football podcast. Let's get started with NFL Nuts. Sunday. Now here's Ryan Hannibal. Special edition of the Not Sunday podcast this week. You know, we have a special guest this week, Field Yates. Usually I have... Kirk Minahan, Christian Forey, and, and Rich Keefon, but this week is so big that we just need Field Yates to take us through the, the whole way. So thank you for joining me, Field. Great to have you on, and I hope uh, you can live up to the expectations. I'll do my best. You know, I can imagine it won't be easy, Ryan, but I appreciate you having me on very much. All right, let's get right to it. What are your initial thoughts on the Jimmy Garoppolo trade? Well, I'd say this. Um, there is certainly some surprise involved only because the NFL does not often lead to major trades, although the Patriots are probably as trade-happy as any team this side of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I, I, I'm not totally stunned that Jimmy Garoppolo was trade in the sense that, you know, with just eight regular season games left on his current contract, obviously there was going to be some sort of action that needed to be taken, whether it was Jimmy agreeing to an extension with the team whether it was a team deciding after the season to franchise tag him or the team just allowing him to hit the open market uh, and potentially recoup a compensatory pick in 2019. You know, the third option, to me, is not really an option because that didn't make a lot of business sense. Uh, the, the, the point that I think people have discussed the most is whether or not the Patriots got enough and whether or not they could have gotten more if they traded Jimmy Garoppolo earlier on this offseason. You know, it's, it's impossible to answer that question, uh, but I would say this is that the team's mindset towards trading Jimmy Garoppolo is not something that has been stagnant for six, seven, eight months. These things do change over time. When you are fielding trade offers in March or April, or not, maybe not fielding them, but when you are at least receiving them, inquiries, offers, whatever you want to call them, you may have a different approach when you have Tom Brady, who at the time was 39 but was turning 40 uh, in August. You may say to yourself, like, it actually makes practical business sense 
to buy some time and evaluate Tom as he turns age 40 and enters what is largely uncharted territory uh, because there are so few quarterbacks that have made an impact into their fifth decade uh, in playing in the NFL. So at this point now, the Patriots get a high second-round pick. If things continue as they do right now or as they have been so far, they're probably going to be owning the 33rd or 34th pick in the upcoming draft. It's a piece of draft capital, and we know that what that pick is now might not be what it results in come April. Uh, the team could certainly turn that around into multiple picks or another player. Um, so I was surprised. Um, I don't think it's a bad deal by any stretch, which maybe I misread some of the uh, reactions, but I felt like it was a deal that made sense for both sides. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's ever a possibility that they would sign Garoppolo or even franchise him so that the team would you know, pay $40 million or so to the quarterback position? Do you think that was ever a possibility? Yeah, I think it was a possibility if they uh, either didn't get a trade offer they liked right now, uh, or Jimmy didn't extend, you know, take an extension. Which we understand, like the idea behind a one-year extension was this: was if you extend Jimmy by a year, for example, it basically uh, acts as a franchise tag designation. It only just, um, you know, it accordingly uh, splits the cap hit over two years. So. Um, I think the team, that's certainly probably something they considered. Uh, you know, Ryan, I always look at it like this, is people are wondering why they were for so long holding on to Jimmy Garoppolo. And then we go around the NFL, and last Thursday night you see a game in which Matt Moore and the Dolphins' offense looked pathetic uh, in that game, that 40 nothing blowout against the Baltimore Ravens. Ryan Mallett entered the game for Baltimore, and certainly they were up by multiple scores. They didn't have to throw the football a ton. But you can tell just how few reliable backup quarterback options there are in the NFL. So the Patriots being motivated to keep Jimmy Garoppolo and potentially extend him or franchise him to sort of recreate a market or at the very least have a backup quarterback plan in place, to me, made sense. Mm -hmm. Now there's obviously some rumblings dating back to the draft about the Browns potentially being one of those teams interested in him. And I think on us, on Kirk and Hallin this morning, Adam Schefter implied that maybe the Belichick didn't want to deal Garoppolo to the Browns, partly because that, that they were still in the conference, but also that, that they fired Belichick, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years ago. Do you think there's anything to that, that Belichick still holds a grudge against that franchise? I'll put it this way. I, you know, I, Adam, when, when Adam reports it, it's real. It's news. It's as solid as there is across any sport. Yep. So I don't, you know, if, if, if Adam was reporting that, but I, I think you're saying he suggested it, yeah. uh, not reported it. Right. So I think there's a big difference there. But um, I don't know for sure if, uh, you know, if, if that was a factor in the team not wanting to trade Jimmy Garoppolo to Cleveland. I would imagine that if, if those are the factors involved, the fact that he played, that the Browns play in the AFC, uh, certainly is more important, I would think, you know, this is like dictating terms, right? Um, you trade away Jimmy Garoppolo to a team that you see once every four years in San Francisco, and one that probably is still two or three years away from competing with regularity, especially in a division that now features the Seahawks and an ascending young Rams team. Um, you know, I also know that uh, San Francisco has plenty of resources, uh, so they can certainly trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and feel content 
that they have an excellent shot at retaining him for a long-term deal. You know, you can make the same case for Cleveland, but, you know, their quarterback plan has frequently, frequently been difficult to assess and make sense of. Um, I don't know if there was for sure a hard and fast offer from Cleveland, uh, but the San Francisco deal, like, I can't imagine there were a bunch of deals a team uh, was weighing uh, yesterday when they decided to trade Jimmy Garoppolo to San Francisco. Hmm. Now, moving forward for the Patriots, I know it's very early in you know thinking down the road of how Tom Brady gets replaced, but just just your gut feeling. Do you think this is a case where the Patriots you know look at the draft the next year or two and try and find their replacement there, or is it maybe a case that they potentially you know add a, a young free agent or something like that? Is it does it have to be where the Patriots develop their their future quarterback, or could you see them potentially just you know signing a free agent whenever Brady retires? Yeah, I think it's probably more the former of drafting a player. The problem is very few quarterbacks uh, reach the free agent market for obvious reasons, right? I mean, the quarterbacks that reach free agency that sign notable contracts over the past couple of years include Mike Glennon, who's already been benched. He was benched after, I believe, five games as the Bears starter, and they're paying him on average $15 million. Brian Hoyer, who could, by the time this podcast is up, be back in New England to serve as Tom Brady's backup for at least the remainder of this season, was signed to a deal that had guaranteed him around $7 million. Uh, that did not work out for San Francisco. They pulled the plug on Hoyer and went with T.J. Beathard, and now they've obviously subsequently pulled the plug on Beathard. Uh, also, last offseason, Brock Osweiler signs a four-year, $72 million deal. He has been with three separate teams in the span of you know, about one calendar year. So these things tend to, like, quarterbacks rarely uh, make it to free agency that are truly players you can either sign and start or players that you can sign and develop. So I think the Patriots, like, as much as um, people have some anxiety right now amongst Patriots fans as to where their backup quarterback plan is for the future, like, you should also probably have some trust in the infrastructure. This is a team that, that found Jimmy Garoppolo when few others, I mean, there are people that were, uh, you know, very down on the pick at the time. Why, why draft Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round? Well, I think that showed that that was a worthwhile investment, and certainly you have to trust the front office, which, you know, I, I think this is, you know, a fantastic front office and scouting staff the Patriots have that they can find a quarterback in what is regarded, you know, in, in the, you know, the Halloween version of 2018 draft boards as a very good one. Mm-hmm. And then last question on the quarterbacks. You know, when you look at the Patriots' backups, they traded Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo and only got back Philip Dorsett and a second-round pick. Now, I think if you another GM or another coach around the league made this that swap, they'd be getting you know a lot of crap from the, from their fan base. But here in New England, you know, a lot of leeway sort of goes to Bill Belichick. Do you think that 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 swap was was fair value, or do you think that potentially they could have gotten more for for those two quarterbacks? I mean, I, I sort of look at the Jacoby Brissett deal, and I'm thinking to myself, who else was trading for Jacoby? Uh, who else was trading for Jacoby Brissett? And what would have appeased Patriots fans more? Than getting a former first round pick who has, you know, an abundance of speed. Like, they, like, Philip Dorsett was not merely a what can he do for you in 2017 ad. Uh, he has four catches for 85 yards. I get it. The production has not been there. Like, that's a player that's on an excellent contract for next season, too, that you may say, like, a year from now, when Danny Amendola's contract is expired, you've got Brandon Cooks, obviously. You've got Chris Hogan, who will be 
entering the final year of his deal in 2018, at least as things currently stand. Like, I'm not so sure that that Philip Dorsett deal is really even close to the books being closed. The Patriots, uh, you know, got Philip, uh, got Jacoby Brissett and, and, and did, you know, start him for uh, two and a half games or did play him for two and a half games last year. And I, am, I have immense respect for Jacoby Brissett, but I think, like, for what he probably is in the NFL, he's a backup quarterback. And they get a player that they feel like the pipeline of talent is important. Uh, and for Garoppolo, you know, I think I tend to think that these trades are best evaluated uh, once there's a little bit more of a book on them. So we'll see what that that, that that pick becomes. The you know, as of right now, the 33rd to 34th overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I'm not ready to really cast a grade on either one of those deals. Fair enough. Fair enough. Moving to, to the non-quarterback stuff, you know, over the years we've seen the Patriots sort of, you know, next man up. We see guys like Kyle Van Noy now replacing Dante Hightower, Johnson Batamosi replacing Stephon Gilmore. What do you think goes into, you know, having these guys plug in and really not miss a beat? You know, we talked, I remember talking to Jerron Harmon after the game on Sunday, who he mentioned, he said that he believes that the Patriots prepare more than any other team across the league. Do you think that has a lot to do with their success of having these guys just come in and seemingly fill in seamlessly just because of the preparation and all the stuff the coaches give them? From, from your experience, do you think, how much different is in New England across the league? Yeah, I think it's different. I think it's, I think they are as prepared as any team in the NFL. I think situational football certainly rears itself when you see the Patriots do little things right consistently. Um, I think that communication is a big part of it. You know, a guy like Johnson Batamosi, you know, I, I know it's, uh, it, it probably was the last thing that Patriots fans wanted to hear during the first month of the season when the defense was surrendering 32 points per game over weeks one through four. Uh, but as I know Teddy Bruschi often says, the first month of the NFL season is an extension of the preseason. You know, it's or can be. You know, the NFL preseason, you can barely hit compared to where, you know, things used to be. And in the NFL preseason games, like, you've got 90 players on the roster, so it's not just getting players that are going to be your core defensive guys to where they need to be. It's also sifting through 37 players that aren't going to be on your roster and deciding or on your 53-man roster and deciding, you know, do they, where do they fit? Uh, are they practice squad players? Like, there are a lot of elements that you're juggling in the preseason. So I think that maybe the most important part of the Patriots' success is that they've, they've had time to gel and, and communicate and become more familiar with each other. And I think that's shown itself over the past four weeks. People have noted the competition, and I get it. The competition, is, this has not been playing, uh, you know, the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers every single Sunday. But I'm just telling you, it's hard to hold teams in consecutive weeks to 20 total points, including a Matt Ryan-led Falcons offense, which has been lost in translation somewhat this year, but seven points, and really seven points uh, when the game was out of reach. I think that's something that Patriots defensive players are probably proud of. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's fair that, that this Patriots team isn't playing at the level that other Patriots teams have played at in the past, you know, going into, you know, whatever it is, week week eight? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I mean, Ryan, put it this way. I think the offense you know, needs, needs to make significant steps forward um, in the red zone specifically. It has not yet found its way, and maybe part of that is, uh, dealing with you know the early season injury to Gronk, which limited him, missed missed the game there, or maybe it's just still finding 
uh, the passing game rhythm in life without Julian Edelman. Maybe it's because Mike Gillespie has not been as effective over the past six games as he was during the first two games. Uh, I'm not sure. So I think, yes, the offense has some strides to make. Um, defensively, obviously, it's, you know, it's still not perfect, um, but they've, they, they have made some strides, and they still need to find more consistent pass rush, I think, and they need to get Stephon Gilmore healthy. Um, you know, the Patriots just won the Super Bowl, so I think it's, you know, obviously compared to last year, I, I think if the standard is compared to last season, Patriots are, pro- are not clicking right now on the level they were last season. But I also think from a bigger picture standpoint, to be 6-2 and two going into the bye, I, I think it's a fairly healthy trajectory that they are on uh, as they prepare for the second half of their season, which won't be easy given the schedule and some of the opponents they face. Mm-hmm. My bigger picture point was that you know the league as a whole, I think, isn't what it was last year, and I think maybe the Patriots could get away with not being exactly where they were last year as it comes to as it relates to the postseason and potentially being that, that number one seed. Yeah, I mean, I think. Listen, I mean, right now there's three teams that are sitting at six and two: Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and New England. Uh, you know, obviously the Patriots have yet to play Pittsburgh. They do later on in Pittsburgh this season. They played the Chiefs obviously, and they lost that game back at home in week one. You know, Pittsburgh's schedule really lines up favorably in the second half of the season. So they've got a chance to probably win, you know, 12 or 13 games. Um, I think there's a chance that the NFL, we have a different view of how the NFL looks at the end of the season. Like, I think there's a pretty good chance that we're saying Philadelphia is an excellent team and Seattle's an excellent team. Pittsburgh's a very good team. Patriots are a very good team. Like, I think that maybe the tenor of how the league is as a whole will be different uh, on you know January 1 as opposed to October 31st. Mm-hmm. Now, getting to your stuff with ESPN, you're the co-host of the Fancy Focus football podcast. How much do you, do you enjoy fantasy football? Not only now, obviously, you do now, but, but growing up. Were you into fantasy football You know, you're growing up in high school and into college? Yeah, certainly. You know, the longest league, you know, the league that I played in the longest is uh, it's 12 members and half are my friends from Wesleyan, where I went to college, and half are from Williams College, where uh, the, the co-commissioners are brothers of our league. So one Wesleyan grad and one Williams grad. Uh, but, you know, the thing about fantasy football is that it is an outlet on Sundays that uh, certainly can, can draw and elicit emotional uh, reactions because people don't like to lose their matchups or they lose their matchups in heartbreaking fashion on Monday night, et cetera. Uh, but for me, it's always been an opportunity to uh, enjoy the games in a different way. I uh, played it for a long time. Obviously, the fantasy industry has grown and changed a lot. Um, you know, daily fantasy has been introduced, for example. Uh, we've seen uh, different iterations of season-long fantasy that have become more popular. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a mistake. The NFL's popularity has grown as fantasy has also grown over the past decade or so. But I love it. Uh, it's a great outlet for me, and... I think that fantasy football certainly aligns quite a bit uh, with real football. I'm not saying the two are, you know, perfectly parallel when it comes to the insight that you use uh, related to one versus the other, but I think a lot of crossover exists. So it's useful in my work on the quote-unquote real football side uh, to have my fantasy experience and vice versa. Yeah, does it, does you, like, do you watch game film when you're preparing for a fantasy football show? Does that do anything for you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, NFL. I watch. You know, on Sundays, I you know try to watch as many games as possible. Uh, you know, understanding that. Uh, you know, I sit uh, during Operation Football, which is a radio show that I go with Andrew Hawkins. Uh, I watch. You know, one to seven. We watch 
every game's on. You know, obviously it's difficult to pay attention to every single play of every single game. Uh, but then, you know, during the NFL, during the week, you know, NFL Game Pass is a significant resource for me. Yep. Uh, you see a player, and you see maybe nine carries for eight, eight, you know, eighty yards, or you see ten carries for twenty yards, and you think to yourself, was it really that good, or was it really that bad? And you might find that after you watch it, hey, you know, like this guy stumbled into that, you know, one sixty-yard run where the defense had ten men on the field, uh, and maybe that that eighty-yard day isn't as spectacular as it might seem or you know 10 carries for 20 yards but then you look and you say like hey they're playing their backup guard and they couldn't get any push so i found you know i just enjoy the game and i enjoyed watching the game so i have certainly leaned on watching the games uh throughout the week you know re-watching games throughout the week as a way to elevate my fantasy intel uh during the podcast each day and then also on sunday mornings mm-hmm. now, how many teams does this field yates have and, and how you're doing this year uh, I play in five leagues. Oh man! Uh, season-long leagues. Uh, I've trimmed that down a little bit from years past. I'm trying to kind of streamline things a little bit. Uh, and let me think. For the on the whole, solid. I would say, I'd say three of them I feel particularly strong about. One of them, uh, it's a 16-team league, and we're right in the mix. Uh, you know, needs, probably need some good things to bounce our way. And then one team has just been just been crummy. Um, so, uh, but, you know, like, uh, as I was saying earlier, Ryan, like, I use fantasy football playing it, not as a job, but playing it as sort of an outlet for me. Uh, I don't try to let the emotional toll sort of wear on me too much. Uh, and that's not because I don't take my job very seriously. It's just because, uh, ultimately, uh, you have to rely on the process, not the results when it comes to your fantasy football insights. Mm. Uh, if I go into the game, and every single week I'm going to rank Tom Brady higher than, let's say, uh, Jay Cutler. But there might be a week this year where Jay Cutler outscores Tom Brady. And if I envision a scenario where Jay Cutler was my backup and I didn't play him over Tom Brady and Cutler scores 20 points and Brady scores 18 points, I'm not going to kick myself for that. Um, and I understand, too, that you know, there are 22 variables in every single play, 22 players in the field. So as much as I love to analyze and forecast what could happen, I have to understand that there's only so much that is actually in my control, and by Sunday at 1 p.m., most of that has already been taken care of. Yeah. And last one for me, do you ever get, I'm sure you do, do you get a lot of uh, crap on Twitter, maybe someone takes your fantasy advice and it doesn't pay off? Yeah, and you know something, Ryan? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, this is part of what we signed up for. Uh, I'm not advocating for people to uh, speak poorly uh, of others on Twitter. I'm not advocating for people to chastise players chast- uh, for, for when they don't meet their expectations for fantasy. As a matter of fact, I think that's about the last thing you should do. Um, but in my role, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in my role and how I do my job. And there are days where you just spend a little bit less time bothering with your notifications and a little bit more time you know, enjoying, that's why, you you know, you, you you tweet when you feel like tweeting, and when you don't feel like tweeting, you stand down and you just sort of keep your, your tweets shut. So, uh, yeah, there's some, 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 some muck that's thrown your way. I would just say that, uh, fortunately, the, the large majority of people that uh, play fantasy football uh, have, a, have a, uh, a mindset of gratitude towards those who they follow uh, for fantasy football insights. 
And I love that. I love that they are grateful because just like I am grateful for the people that are experts in fantasy sports, a game that I don't cover, like baseball or basketball, I'm grateful for their contributions, and I'm grateful for the people that are grateful for mine as well in football. All right, awesome. You can find Field at the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast at ESPN. Field, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.